Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. We had really good seats for the game. I mean, really good seats. They reminded me kind of of salvation, where you think about it and you say, I don't deserve this. I could never have paid for it, but I'm very grateful to the one who's given it to me. Well, I was thinking that about the person, member of this worshiping community who gave us these seats. We almost felt like we were in the game. So the Los Angeles Clippers were playing the San Antonio Spurs. For many years, I've been a Spurs fan, so I was into the game, but it wasn't going well for the Spurs. So late in the game, their head coach, Greg Popovich, calls a timeout. He gathers the team around, and he's going through strategy, trying to fire them up, trying to come up with a plan. This is what you need to do if you're going to win the game. There was a lot of crowd noise, but right in that huddle, Popovich looked up at me. He looked up at me, looked right at me. I could tell what he was thinking. I mean, I know just by the looks on some of your faces, you don't believe me. So I, I snapped a picture. No telephoto lens or anything else. Just from where we were sitting, I snapped a picture. And this is, he's the gray-headed gentleman right at the middle of the picture. I mean, look at that. He's looking right at me. And I know what he's thinking. He's probably saying, saying, Randy, what, what, what are you doing up in the stands? What are you doing up in that seat? Get down here. Get on the court. Help us win this game. Now, I didn't actually hear him say that, but there was a lot of crowd noise. But I know he must have. <laughs> Just like I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Randy has totally lost it. <laughs> because there's no way... He, Popovich is surrounded by professionals. Randy doesn't even deserve to be called a rank amateur when it comes to basketball. Now, if Popovich had said anything, he would have said, when it comes to basketball, you are an unprofessional layperson. You know what that feels like? I remember feeling that in a very different context, a very different situation. I was a resident chaplain at the medical center, still working on my Master of Divinity degree, and was taking clinical pastoral education. Jerry Davis was our supervisor, and Jerry decided that it would be helpful for us as resident chaplains to view an autopsy. Now, I understood his thinking. There were times when chaplains, and throughout my career this was true, times when we met with families after they had met with their physician, and they were talking through these kinds of things, and they wanted questions answered, and they had concerns that they wanted to express. Jerry's thinking was, it will be helpful to you if you view what actually happened so you know what you're talking about. I remember standing outside just ready to go into that room, and I remember feeling, honestly, just 
apprehension, I guess would be the best word. We went in, and there was the body of a woman on the table. The pathologist, Dr. Dick Cobes, many of you will remember Dr. Cobes, stellar pathologist, taught pathology, biochemistry, great mind, great student of Scripture. Dr. Cobes was there, and he was performing the autopsy. I could tell he was busy. They, they had a heavy caseload, a heavy schedule. He had students to teach. But he was patient with us, and he shared with us what we were seeing and what he was seeking. It was very illuminating. But as I was thinking about it this past week, I thought he had so much that he had to accomplish, so much that he had to do, and here we were just, 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 just watching. It surprises me that he didn't say to me, I mean, after all, I was a very shirt tail through marriage relation to Dr. Combs. Surprised me he didn't say to me, Randy, what, what are you doing just standing there? Put on one of those lab coats. Get over here. Help us. We got to get this done. Some of you are even laughing because you're thinking, you're not even a rank amateur when it comes to pathology. You are an unprofessional layperson, to put it kindly. Have you encountered those situations? I remember another very different one. I was seated in the cockpit of a small plane. I was in the right seat. My father, the pilot, was in the left seat. Dad had spent years, thousands of hours of flying, a mission bush flying, really, we were about to land on an airstrip high in the Sierra Madre Mountains of central Mexico. Now, this was a unique airstrip strip at this particular village because it, it lay kind of down in a little valley. You came in over a hill and some tall trees, and you had to get down quick to get to the airstrip. The problem was you had to stick the landing because at the other end of the airstrip was a mountain. So there was no way to pull up and pull out if you missed it. So we're coming in. We had just come around. We had turned. We were banking in. And I'm looking at that airstrip, and suddenly Dad does something that I heard him talk about and I've read about called a forward slip. That's, I guess, pilot terminology. Here's what happens. When you've got to get down quick, the plane's nose turns over here to the left. The right wing dips down, and the nose dips down, and you go down quick. So suddenly, I'm sitting in this seat, and now we're going sideways, and I'm looking out, and the runway's over here, and the nose is over here, and we're headed down. And it freaked me out. In fact, thinking about it later, I thought, why didn't Dad say, Randy, help me, quick, I need your help. He never said that. And I lived to tell the story. He didn't say that because I wasn't a professional. I didn't have what he had, private license, commercial license, instrument ratings, all the other things, and thousands of hours of flying. I was an unprofessional layperson. As I think about this, I realize that our lives are filled with professionals everywhere we turn, people who have been educated 
and trained and supervised and mentored, have been tested and tried and proven and examined, have been certified and licensed and endorsed. They're all over the place in every facet of our worlds. Though the, the endorsement processes might differ, the educational processes might not be exactly the same, everywhere you look you find professionals. Sports, medicine, business, law, hairstyling, set getting my hair cut, and there's the license right in front of me. Everywhere we look, there are professionals, and that is as it should be. In our increasingly specialized world, it makes absolute sense. The problem is, then we come to church. And we assume that what's true out there must be true in here. In fact, sometimes we give that message. We send that message. People like me standing here send that message to people like you sitting there. Oh, no, no, no. You're just an amateur. Leave it to the professionals because you are an unprofessional layperson. Here's the question. What would those men and women who were around at the time of the founding of the Christian church have to say about that? We're going to look at what one of them had to say. Peter. Remember Peter? Blustering, blundering Peter, foot in his mouth Peter. We're going to look at what Peter had to say about it in Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to give you just a few thoughts about the realities of what we're going to read so that when we read it, maybe it will be a bit more sensible. So, Peter here is writing to the people of God, to the church of God. He's writing to people just like you and me. These were the people of God in his day. We are the people of God in this day. He's going to use several terms, several ways of referring to the people of God, the principle of which will be living stones. He called them, and by extension, he calls us living stones. Why is he calling us that? Because he says Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the headstone. Then all of us together, as the people of God, we are living stones through which God is building a temple. Living stones. He'll use several other designations as well, holy nation, Royal priesthood, holy priesthood. He has several other de designations as well. God's special possession. But maybe the most important one that I want to focus on today is God's people. God's people. So let's read what Peter had to say. It was read so well by Ryan and Brandon just a few moments ago. Ryan and Brandon Wolf. I told them earlier, they're wolves among sheep. <laughs> But we're glad they read it. <laughs> First Peter 2, beginning with verse 4. They read it in the New International Version. We're going to read it now in the New Living Translation. Peter writes, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priests. 
Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Peter's point, though even some of the commentators say it's a bit hard to follow him at times, is simple. He says, and I paraphrase, the temple of God that's at Jerusalem, or now that was at Jerusalem, is no longer the primary dwelling place of God on earth, but God still has a temple that contains His holy presence. Do you know what that temple is, Peter says? It's no longer located in one city, contained by one nation. Now it is a global temple. It has no ethnic boundaries, no national boundaries, because the temple that God is building in which His presence dwells is you. You are the living stones that make up this edifice. This structure where God dwells, this spiritual temple, you, the people of God. And that's where it gets interesting. I want to go back and, and, and reread 1 Peter 2 9. This time we're going to read it from the New Revised Standard Version. And I want to highlight three Greek words. Now, if you've never taken Greek, or if you're like me, took it a long time ago, and now struggle and have to use the helps to remember all of that you still may recognize these words because they have English words that grew out of them. So let's read 1 Peter 2.9 now again. It says, But you are a chosen race, genos is the Greek word, a holy nation, ethnos is the Greek word, God's own people, laos is the Greek word, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Genos, ethnos, laos. Now, there is some overlap in the meaning of three, these three words. But recognizing that, I also would say that it appears that what Peter is doing is he's drawing a very big circle to begin and then a bit of a smaller circle and then much more detailed and focused on God's laos, on God's people. In fact, here are the meanings of the words. Genos, a nation or a people group. Ethnos, a large group based on various cultural, physical, or geographical ties. But in the New Testament, it is often used of the Gentiles. And finally, laos. That's just people. But in the New Testament, it is often used of the people of God, Jews and Gentiles. And that's our focus, that word, laos, from which we get the English term laity. So now, verse 10. Notice how he finishes. Once you were not a people, Laos, but now you are God's people, Laos. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. So remember this. When the New Testament uses the term laos, it's talking about the entire people of God. We are all the laos of God. We are all God's laity. That's not how we use it. Not in the modern world, not in the medieval world. In fact, too soon after the early church was born, it began to adopt customs from the secular world around them so that we finally ended up where we are today. In fact, I want to read to you the definitions of two terms, laity and clergy, not from the Greek, but from Webster, from our dear friend Webster. This is how Webster says we in the modern world define laity and how we define clergy. So here's Webster on laity. He gives two, two meanings. The people of a religious faith as distinguished from its clergy. And then secondly, the mass of the people as distinguished from those of a particular profession or those specially skilled. So the, la- the mass of people distinguished from the clergy. In other words, the laity are out there, the unprofessional lay people. And honestly, in modern parlance, normally that term is just a bit denigrating. Have you picked that up? She's just a layperson. Oh, he's just a layperson. It can be denigrating. That's the use of it in the modern. So if we bring that in and baptize that and apply it to church, what it means is that a layperson comes to church, sits down, stands up for the, for the song, puts some money in the offering, kneels for the prayer, listens to a sermon, and goes home. That's what it means to be a layperson. That could not be further from the New Testament rich meaning of the term. So if that's how we use the term laity in the modern world, how do we use the term clergy? Well, again, back to our dear friend Webster. He says clergy. This is what clergy is. A group ordained to perform pastoral or sacerdotal functions in the Christian church. Ordained to perform these functions. Curious, is it not? that the word ordained does not appear in Scripture. And yet it became such a central part of the clergy's life. How did that happen? It's a long story, but a brief history lesson. It appears that somewhere, not in the early church, but in the centuries thereafter, and certainly moving up to medieval times, the church borrowed structures from the secular world around them as to how to lead the church. It would not be the only time the church would borrow from the secular world to tell us how to do church. didn't end well. The Greco-Roman world, there were two key groups. One was the kleros, which was the magistrate who ran the show, The other group was the laos, which was the people which were uneducated and ignorant. And that got brought into the church, baptized in the church, so that the term laos, which it had so much richness as the people of God in the New Testament church, now meant just those who aren't professional. Whereas the professionals, the clergy, 
they're on a higher plane. I pastored a church early in my career. Pastored a church where to be up here on the platform speaking, you had to be a pastor or an elder. Everyone else spoke from a lower level. That's in my lifetime, my pastoral lifetime. Very much drawn out of the secular world of its day and time. Now, I am pleased to tell you that this church, the Loma Linda University Church, in its history has made choices against such realities. For example, years ago, a couple of decades ago, we made a choice about how worship leaders interact with you. Some of you will remember back in the day, we had seats across the front right here. Doug, you'll remember that. Everybody, the worship leaders, pastors, elders filed on, and they sat back there so that you could watch them throughout the program trying to stay awake and, and, and trying to, you know, not fall asleep. Read a story about a man back there who did that, and after the sermon, he said, do you know there are 262 panes in that stained glass window back there? Um, so that, but that's the way we did it. And then we made a different choice. So we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to have the worship leaders down in the congregation. Not because it was a modern day fad. Not because of that reason. But because we believed that theologically the, the message should be that worship leaders, pastors, others are part of the body of Christ. We come to worship. And when the moment comes that we play a part in that, we rise from the body. We do what we have been asked or called to do. And then we descend back into the body of Christ. So that we are all one body, one laos of God. There was a second one. This predated me. I don't know when this choice was made, but it was a good choice. And that was, no matter what you did out in the world, no matter what position you was at the university, no matter what you did at the medical center, when you came here, you were called by your first name. First name. My name is Randy. I love being called Randy because that's actually my name. <laughs> first name. When I came here, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll confess, it, I had a hard time at certain points making that transition because I'd worked with people in another setting. I mean, Tom Zirkel, I never could call him Tom. <laughs> it was always Dr. Zirkel. Dr. Behrens, the president of Loma Linda University Health, said to me, call me Lynn here at the church. I said, thank you, Dr. Behrens. <laughs> Never could quite make that transition. But I love that reality. Here, we're all part of the body of Christ. We're on equal ground. We are the laos of God, the people of God. Now, two quotes to help unpack a little bit of where the Christian church lost its way. The first one from Robert Slocum. He says, in the period of church history prior to Martin Luther, the church taught that only priests, nuns, and monks had vocations. Everyone else in the church simply had jobs. The unfortunate assumption was that God only called religious professionals. What a travesty. I am grateful beyond any words I could express 
that I have a sense of God's call in my life. But I will tell you, that call in my life is not one whit more important than God's call in your life. Whether God is calling you to be a hairstylist, a construction worker, a physician, an attorney, a musician, a filmmaker, whatever God is calling you to be, that's God's call on your life. That's your vocation as a member of the laos, the people of God. And he sends you out in the world to be his light in a dark place. We are all called of God. We're the laos of God. Second quote, Greg Ogden writes, The church adhered to the assumption that there were two kinds of people, clergy and laity. Ordination was interpreted as a kind of second baptism that lifted the clergy into a superior state of Christian achievement. Clerical garb symbolized their elevated status. Just think about that. An act that was never named in Scripture became the second baptism, the certifying mark that this person is somehow above and more holy than these people. That is not a biblical view of that act, whatever you may call it. If we want to ordain somebody, the biblical view is, and you find this happening in places like the book of Acts, the biblical view is that the body of Christ has recognized in this person, John Doe, or in this person, Mary Doe, has recognized in their life the evidence that they have been called to a certain ministry. We pray and we lay hands on them as our support for and confirmation of that. A call is confirmed in community. But we're all the laos, the people of God. So what does that mean? What can we take home? Two things. Two things. First of all, celebrate who you are. Celebrate who you are. You're the people of God. The laos of God. You are the most precious reality in the heart and the mind of Jesus. Celebrate that. In fact, going back to, to 1 Peter 2, I want you to notice again verse 10, what Peter writes. He's quoting an Old Testament writer, but notice what he says. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people, God's laos. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Celebrate who you are. Woody Allen, who has a lot of things to not celebrate, at one point said, my one great regret in life is that I'm not someone else. Do you know what? I think in spiritual terms, Woody Allen is far from alone. There are many who come in as part of the people of God, the church of God, who feel like, I wish I was someone else. I wish I could do something else. I bring nothing. I have nothing to offer. There is nothing that matters about me in this church. That is not Scripture. In fact, no less a mind than the mind of John Stott says, if we create a church with a hierarchy, that destroys, that's his word, that destroys the New Testament doctrine of the church. It's that important. So celebrate who you are. 
You are loved. You are fashioned and designed by God to fulfill the call He puts on your life. Todd Bolsinger has written a book entitled Tempered Resilience. I'm reading it right now. Excellent book for leaders. He's talking about an event, an experience he had in Canada, 2006. He had gone to the Canada Ironman Triathlon. It's, a, it's an amazing event. And uh, he was there, and he was at the dinner the night before. And at that dinner the night before, he said, there was a speaker there who was a Catholic nun, Sister Madonna Budin. Sister Madonna, he said, was there not to like offer the prayer or offer the invocation or a blessing, not to do that. She was there to speak. As it turns out, Sister Madonna was quite an athlete herself. They called her the Iron Nun. <laughs> the Iron Nun. Just a few years after that, she would set the world record for age, her age level. Get this, at 82 years of age, she did the triathlon. 2.4 mile swim, 10 point whatever mile bike ride, 26.2 mile marathon, 82. I thought, so what's your excuse, Randy? <laughs> so she spoke, spoke to the gathered group. I want to read to you the words that Bolsinger records her saying. That evening, he writes, her message was simple. Tomorrow, she said, when things get tough out there, remember, you were loved into existence. If you get discouraged and want to quit, if you get injured and can't finish, if things don't go the way you hope, even though you've trained for this day for months or even years, even then, remember, you were loved into existence. And then Bolsinger comments, a competitor herself with several age group world records and several running events to her name, she wanted to remind that group of dedicated performers that the most important thing about them was true about them before they had performed at all. So before you ever go out to try to do something in the name of Jesus for the world around you, before you ever do anything that matters, you're already loved. You were loved into existence. Celebrate who you are. You're the laos of God. Secondly, live like who you are. Live like who you are. So we go back again to, to, to 2 Peter. Pardon me, 1 Peter chapter 2. And this time read verse 9. Notice what he says. You're not like that, in other words, those that don't obey, for you are a chosen people, you're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Now notice what comes next. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. You can show the goodness of God. Live like who you are. Do something about it. Now the truth is, if everybody in this worship service said, I want to volunteer for Loma Linda University Church, we could never use all of you. We could certainly use more than we have. But do you know who could use everyone we have and more? The world out there. The world where you work. The gym where you work out. 
the office where you oversee things, the boardroom where you administer, the, the, the construction site where you're building, all of those places are places you can show God's wonderful light as part of the laos of God. Author Kerry Oberbrunner tells the story of being at the gym working out. And you know what it's like. You're at the gym, you're working out, you're trying to get into a zone, trying to get focused, trying to, trying to keep everybody out, not, not conversations and all that. But he said there was this gentleman, this bit older, older gentleman there, who was having problems with his, I don't know if it was his iPhone or his iPod, I don't know how long ago it was, but his MP3 player couldn't, couldn't seem to get it to work and the earbuds, and he was obviously frustrated. So Oberbrunner watched him for a bit, and then he thought, ah. You know, I pray for Jesus to guide my footsteps. What if Jesus put this gentleman here in my path today? So finally, with some hesitation, he walked over and said, Can I help you? I, I, I like to listen to jazz music while I'm exercising. I can't get this crazy thing. to. I don't know what to do with that. And, and Oberon said, Well, let me see your iTunes. He said, I what? And Oberon thought, Okay. Okay, so this is going to be a lot bigger task than I thought it was going to be. So I pick it up with Oberbrunner's words. He writes, Against his initial wishes, I visited him at his apartment. Turns out his wife had died a couple of years before, and all his earthly possessions were crammed into a small apartment. She had been their main breadwinner, so the bank repossessed his house when he was unable to make the payments. Bob, which was his name, and I made a makeshift space in his back room near his desktop computer. One at a time, I imported his jazz CD collection onto his hard drive, intending to transfer the MP3s eventually to his player. While importing his music, Bob and I talked about life, his wife, and God. The weeks following, I checked in on Bob often. Kind of funny how two guys who are complete opposites can become the best of friends, all because of an MP3 player. Bob is 71. I'm 32. Bob is black. I am white. Bob doesn't have much money. I have more than I need. Bob is an ex-convict. I've never been to jail. Bob is a widower. I'm married. In short, we are opposites. A short time later, though, I invited Bob to church, deeply desiring for him to meet Jesus. After a few invitations, he eventually accepted and sat with my wife and me last spring. If he felt awkward sitting in our mostly white church, he didn't let on. After the service, we knelt together near the altar, and Bob told Jesus that he wanted to follow him. Bob confessed that he wanted to stop trying to control his life and invited Jesus to take over. Bob wept, and when I looked into his eyes, I noticed the distinct peace that now defined his face. Bob changed my life. He changed the life of my church. I get more joy from him than he will ever understand. Whenever I say goodbye to him or hang up the phone after talking to him, he always tells me, give my love to your family. He wants me to baptize him this June at our next baptism. I'm saddened by the reality that I almost miss Bob simply because I was too engrossed in my own little world. Wonder how many Bobs are out there just waiting for someone to show them that God has moved them from darkness to light, from not a people to being a people, 
from the laity of the world to the laos of God. Celebrate who you are. But friends, don't leave it there. Live like who you are. Whether it be in service to this community of the body of Christ or it be in service in the gymnasiums or the boardrooms or the construction sites out there. Live like who you are. And if somebody ever walks up to you in the midst of your ministry and says to you, who do you think you are? You're just a rank amateur. You're nothing but an unprofessional layperson. If they say that to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up straight, stick out your chest, and say, you are exactly right. I'm just a layperson, just like Jesus wants it. God of grace, our hearts are full at the thought that we are, all of us, the laos of God, the people of God. Lord, let us approach every person as an equal, the ground being all level at the foot of the cross, dignified by the love of Jesus. We celebrate that. Now empower us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.